You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Indians. This is your host, Jeff Ellis. So I want to lead off with, um, I got some information wrong. The AL uh, Central Talk is next week. So, um, yeah, I just got it wrong in my head. So next week will be our AL Central preview, a little bit closer to the season. We'll dive into that. Uh, I've already talked with uh, three of the four other hosts out there. So um, it should be a fun time, good talking, uh, all of that jazz. Now, on today's show, we're going to uh, get into some, you know, we'll finish off one and two from the Indians all-time center field. We're going to talk about some of these small injuries that are appearing for the Indians, what that all means, talk about some news around the game. Uh, but before we get any of that, I want to talk about uh, Terry Pluto has a really nice piece today. Now, I, I'll be the first to admit I've had my ups and downs with Terry Pluto over the years. Um, he used to be like required reading that I couldn't wait to look forward to as a kid. And as I got older, there's still some points that are great. Um, for me personally, I've mentioned that, you know, Andrew Clayman, if you ever read his stuff over on Waiting for Next Year, is like a, a big fan of mine. And, you know, he, he referenced him in an article, but took large amounts of what Andy wrote and put it in the paper, but never alerted him. That always kind of bothered me that like something someone else wrote could just be kind of copy pasted whole cloth. Yes, it's great to give a reference, but it'd be nice to at least reach out first, right? So, uh, but yeah, he does a really good job. Let's get back to the important part here, kind of laying out why, uh, you know, I've talked about it on the podcast as well, but why it is that uh, Lindor and Yelich are very, very different situations. He tackles it. He gives all the pertinent information. He does a very strong job. So that is worth checking out. Um, Mercado, it's a mild sprain. Whew big sigh of relief right so we don't really have to get too much more deep into this i do think that you know his his defense is going to be his calling card i do wonder i don't think he's the ideal guy in the two hole i really hate that idea especially because like all advanced numbers show that the number two spot is the most important part in your lineup and you know when you put him to it just because you're taking away more at bats from other guys. It's you know if you want to have Lindor lead off, fine. But J Ram two, Santana three, Franmil four. Let's just load it up with the strongest hitters on the team. Get them the most at bats possible. Mercado is not one of the strongest batters on the team. He's likely going to be kind of more than that. I, I I doubt he's going to be one of the top five best bats on the team. He was extremely up and down. Um, he can hit, and again his defense is spectacular. He's going to be a at least a two to three win player in center, but uh, don't love him there. Carlos Carrasco, you know, there's a lot of talk because they announced the the opening day starter. Uh, Carlos Carrasco has been slowed down recently due to mild elbow inflammation. Uh, not a big concern, but he's just getting some extra rest. So there are some people talking about the fact that he should be an opening day starter and not uh, not Shane Bieber, just because he's overcome so much. But man, Bieber earned that spot. He was such a good pitcher a year ago. One of the top guys the Indians had. One of the top guys any team had. And uh, I'm really hoping that, uh, you know, he can just continue to build on what he's done. But yeah, if you're out there mad about that, I don't, you know, it's a meritocracy. And the best player is getting that opportunity to play. And I think he should get that opportunity to be the opening day starter. I saw some talk over on MLB Trade Rumors that uh, some teams are looking into Jorge Mateo. Now, if you remember when I talked about why Lindor to the uh, to the Athletics, I talked about Mateo and why I kind of liked him. 
Now, the reason why this is even coming up is because the A's, you know, they added a guy in the Rule 5 draft, so he has to stay on their roster. Um, they have a plethora of middle, uh, of you know, utility players, guys who can play up the middle and the like. So it, it makes sense from that area of like, and Mateo is out of options. Uh, he can play second, he can play short, he has played center field. And that's one of the reasons I also kind of dig him as a utility guy. Steals a lot of bases, hit for some power last year. Uh, it kind of broke out. Now, he was one of those guys that it is interesting if you go over to his baseball reference page. Before 2016, he's 26th and 30 ranked prospect. The next year, 85th and 47th. The next year, 64th and 72nd. And I just kind of look at that. And, and again, this is someone who is a highly uh highly paid guy he was and kind of interesting i mean he was arguably and i I don't even think it's really all that arguable but arguably the centerpiece in the sunny gray deal back in the day and i i lost a lot of twitter followers when i wrote about what i thought the sunny gray deal would look like and a lot of uh oakland fans were very mad at what i projected the cost to be and then oakland got less than my projected cost uh, if you're not familiar, it's a deal to look back on and be like, ooh. Because, okay, so Sonny Gray, at one point in time, uh, looked like he was going to be one of the top 10 guys in that 2011 draft class. And I say that because that 2011 draft class was ridiculously loaded. He was drafted in 2011, made his debut in 2013, quite strong that year. 2014, steady. 2015, he's an all-star and finishes third in the Cy Young. And then injuries up and down after that. Uh, eventually gets traded to the Yankees. And then the Yankees move him to the Reds. And the Reds kind of fix him. And he has his best season, uh, you know, in terms of things. You're looking at like ERA plus and FIP. It, it's essentially his second best season outside of that debut where he was, was phenomenal. Uh, and then what's nice for the Reds is, I mean, they got him for... I was never a huge Shed Long guy, but they it was a the Reds competitive balance A pick and Shed Long was the whole cost to the uh, for the Reds to get Sonny Gray, who they then re-upped, and now he has a he's going to make ten million a year, which is peanuts for a starter through twenty twenty, and then has a twelve million dollar team option in twenty twenty three. So uh, great deal for the Reds, great trade. If you're curious about the Yankees end up when they acquired him. Uh, James Caprillion was a guy that uh, all of a sudden had a velocity jump and was like really being viewed aggressively as a top-end prospect. And Oakland knew he was injured, and then he didn't pitch in 2017 or 2018. Pitched uh, 68 innings in 2019. He is, you know, it being a, a guy from, uh, you know, junior in college, he's already 26, he's a little bit older, they've kind of moved into a pen roll. Uh, electric fastball, uh, very good pitcher for UCLA. But, uh, you know, again, three years they've acquired him. He's only pitched one of those years. Talked about Mateo, who I like, but supposedly, like, they're open to trading him. And then Dustin Fowler, who was someone that I remember, like, Yankees fans being very high on. And I was like, his minors production is not that good. Uh, He played in the majors with the Yankees in 2017, I believe. Yes, and then 2018, he got to spend about 70 games in the majors with Oakland spent all of last year in the PCL uh, Pacific Coast League playing for Las Vegas where uh, Oakland had changed their affiliate to extremely hitter friendly park hit you know 
almost, I mean, the 25 home runs he had this year is, is almost double his highest career total. I don't know if he's really going to get another opportunity anytime soon as they have a pretty loaded outfield. But that was all they got. Uh, so far, one guy who made the majors and was not very strong. So I just, you know, I wanted to comment on that. And then one other player I wanted to talk about today was, it was interesting. It was announced that the Cardinals released Yaro Munez, uh, former Oakland Athletic. You know, tie that together. Uh, it sounded like um, he just didn't show up. He was annoyed about his playing time a year ago. Uh, if you've been listening to this pod the whole time, you've heard me really intrigued by Yaro Munez after his 2018 season where, you know, he had 329 plate appearances. He had a 109 OPS+. Plus. He did a little bit of everything, uh, 350 on base, 276 batting, 413 slugging. Was not as strong a year ago, uh, not even remotely as strong. And then, so he went from 329 plate appearances to 181. So that dropped for him. With some of the guys who are showing up for the Cardinals, uh, he became expendable. And they released him because he had attitude. Uh, he's an outfielder. He has played some middle infield in the minors. He was a former top prospect. I don't think the Indians would uh, run a gamble, take the risk on someone like him, just because of. Uh, I mean, that's for a guy that has not even proven himself and was coming off a bad season. That's that is a heavy sense of entitlement to not show up to camp or to not do what uh, what needs to get done. So he he got let go. I, I mean, I would kick the tires on him, but it's really hard to see a situation where Cleveland would add him in um, to their, uh, in, in spite of what he has shown and, and things like that, add him into their roster. I think part of the reason, too, that St. Louis felt good cutting him is uh, uh, Rangel Raviel, Ravello has, uh, has played really well so far in the spring, and he's played really well in the minors. He nearly was uh, sold to Japan this offseason talked about him a bit on the pod but when they traded jose martinez he kind of stepped into that role i think they just feel comfortable with their depth not to mention dylan carlson is uh it's going to force someone to a backup role very soon i want to do a quick shout out for the locked on mlb podcast it is our number one podcast on network and routinely one of the top 10 podcasts among baseball podcasts i will be on there at some point check it out if you love baseball locked on mlb podcast so let's return to our top 10 talk top 10 top 5 talk when we were talking about the greatest indians of all time so if you were patient maybe you didn't bother to go look up the top two guys um if you were a longtime fan of the indians you probably could have already guessed at this point uh who the two guys left standing are and that's going to be you know number two we'll start with earl avril who was a center fielder for the indians in the hall of fame six-time all-star uh, from 1929 till 1939, he would then go to Detroit and um, BSN is that? Oh, Boston Braves. I got thrown off. It's like who's BSN uh, to finish off his career? Back in the 30s, you're looking at a guy you know with 30 home run power. That that's that's speaking a lot um, for that era. Never led the league in home runs. Only three times led the league in any category. Games, at-bats, hits, and I'm sorry, he did once lead in triples, so four times. But uh, finished fourth in the MVP, fourth in the MVP, 15th, 17th, 3rd, 19th, 8th. When you look at the adjusted OPSs, I mean, from his beginnings, he uh, his OPS plus, like 136, 133, 150. Like his low 
until he was 37 was uh, 116. Now, what's extra interesting about him is that he didn't debut until he was 27 years of age. So that is a, that's a late debut for him. So he missed a lot of times. Uh, he is still the Indians' all-time leader in total bases, runs batted in, runs in triples. He is third in hits and doubles and fourth in home runs and walks. Uh, the team was not good during his time, but he was constantly uh, just a force of nature for them. He became you know, one of the names associated with the Cleveland Indians for a long time. And his performance, I and mean, he was just a, a stellar bat at the time that the Indians were a not good team. You know, I just do kind of surface research, but you know, what stood out for me is just that late debut. Like, you're like, why did he, at 27, what occurred there? Like, you wonder how much bigger the numbers could have been. He ended up being another guy elected through the Veterans Committee. Could he have made a bigger impact? Uh, I don't know if he could have necessarily risen up to being one of the top three guys on the Indians all-time war list, but I mean, there's some talk that he could have gotten there. Now, Lofton actually beats him for career war. So, you know, I I just want to point that out, though, uh, longer career uh, Earl Averill is currently sixth at a 47.9, which puts him a tenth of a point behind Lofton and uh, seven tenths behind, or a point, a tenth of a point behind Tomey and seven tenths behind Lofton. Uh, just like I said it was a not a strong time for the Indians, but he was someone to show up and pay attention to. Career 318 hitter, 238 home runs. Again, this is the 30s and 40s. It's a different era, and you know he basically could do it all during that time. So the Indians' number one center fielder is also the player who is second all-time in career war, first all-time in offensive war, uh, just a one of the greatest center fielders of all time. Is that safe to say? Uh, he made it to the series. He won the series three times, and that's Tris Speaker. Now, Tris Speaker started out in Boston at the age of 19, and he was in Boston until... 1915. At that point, he had already won an MVP. Uh, he had been a top finisher a few times for the MVP, and Cleveland acquired him in 1916. He was already 28 years of age. Now, Tris Speaker is just an interesting guy on so many levels. The story here is kind of going to be refreshing if you're an Indians fan. You know, uh, the Great Eagle is a nickname. Is being known as uh, his glove was sometimes referred to as "Where Triples Go to Die." that he holds the career records for assists, double plays, and unassisted double plays by an outfielder, that he is sixth all-time in batting average, he still has the MLB record for doubles, and that the Indians were able to acquire him uh, because the Boston Red Sox wanted to cut his salary after his batting average had gone down, and the Indians essentially bought him. Uh, so, yes, there was a point in time where the uh, the Indians were buying players off the Boston Red Sox. Uh, he introduced, during his managerial time, the platoon system, uh, becoming one of the first people to roll that out. Uh, just one of the greatest players to ever play the game. So, if we dive into the statistics, I'm just going to fly up here to the top of this. So, talked about that uh, after the 1915 season, his batting average dropped from 338 to 322, and at that point in time, the owner and manager, the president, wanted him to take a pay cut from 15,000 to 9,000, so from about 380 to 230, at least when this wiki was written. He refused and said, I'll take, let's meet in the middle. I'll take a pay cut to 12,000. And uh, they said no. So the Indians traded 
I mean, you got to love a guy called Sad Sam Jones. He was an Ohio kid, um, had really barely played with the Indians. He would go on to have a 22-year career. Um, never really a star, but a solid performer. And then along with him, Fred Thomas, who uh, never played in the majors with Cleveland and had a spotty major league career in general. So, and the equivalent of over a million dollars in cash. Uh, how much? It was $50,000, which is $1.1 million today. Uh, Tris Speaker then held out until he got uh, $10,000 of that money. And it's interesting to read this, that for a long time, this was considered worse than the Ruth deal. I mean, because the thing to understand with uh, Speaker is he was, you know, basically if Ty Cobb didn't exist, we'd probably think of him in that same light. Um, when he first came to Cleveland, Tris Speaker's first year, he's 28, that's 1916. He led league in hits, doubles, batting average, on base, slugging, OPS, OPS plus. And that was the first time in almost a decade that Ty Cobb didn't win the, uh, the batting title. Uh, he won it almost every, you know, Speaker was top three, but he was always behind Ty Cobb at the time. Uh, fun fact, in 1912, he led the league with 10 home runs. Just had to throw that in. But uh, Speaker would stay in Cleveland and essentially become a player coach almost from the start and eventually would become a manager in his own right. And was just, I mean, you, you look through, again, leads the league in doubles all time, 53, 46, 41, 33, 50, 52, 48, 59, when he, some of those years, played for 22 years in the majors. Uh, in terms of, you know, I talked about his overall impact in Cleveland uh, in terms of where he ranks all time. But, uh, you know, it was during the 1920 season that they uh, started running out the platoon system. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, I don't think I have to explain the platoon system. But, uh, I mean, there was also some game-fixing allegations against both uh, Speaker and uh, Ty Cobb at the time. The AL president, Ban Johnson, had found at least proof of one game being fixed between the two of them. And... Uh, you know, the, I guess it came out that uh, the pitcher had claimed that it happened, and then the paper said that it was purely a matter of personal revenge. That was in the 1926 season. Uh, the pitcher was said to be upset with Cobb and Speaker after a trade ended with Leonard in the minors when Leonard refused to appear uh, to have the hearings discussed. Both players were cleared of any wrongdoing, and both were reinstated to their original teams, uh, but each declared their manager free to sign elsewhere. And... You know, that was the end of uh, Tris Speaker as a manager. Again, that was in the 1926 season. At that point, he was 38 years old. He ended up leaving Cleveland at the end of the year. By the way, his age, 38 year, uh, 304 average, 408 on base, 469 slugging, 127 uh, OPS plus. Uh, age 39, he went on to Washington. Still a 119 OPS plus, 327 batting average. And at age 40, he appeared in 64 games with Philadelphia, still hit 267 and 95 OPS plus. It's hard to gauge things, uh, Philadelphia Athletics at the time, like, you know, the defense. You kind of have to go more anecdotal. But it doesn't change the fact that you go and you look at Tris Speaker. He, at age 24 and 27, won World Series as Boston, you know, back when, before the curse, he won the 19... 19- 20 World Series with the Cleveland Indians. Uh, he is from 1914 till 1926, you know, player, manager, innovator, uh, offensive force, defensive force. Uh, 
there's just no other way to put it. I mean, he was one of the greatest players to uh, to ever go out there and play for the Cleveland Indians. He was a pretty easy choice for this spot just because he is one of the great players in uh, MLB history. He does lead the Indians all-time in offensive war. He is top two all-time in positional player war. And if we want to go and look at you know things like single seasons, uh, Tris Speaker is tied for third. That great Al Rosen season offensively, Tris Speaker tied it. It was this 1923 season. Uh, his 1916 season is sixth. His... 1920 is ninth. That's right. He appears three times in the Indians' top ten, uh, four times, five times in their top twenty. So it's he's just all over the books for them. That's that's the truth of it. You look through that 23 season ranks eighth all time uh, when you look at the Indians' total WAR WAR values, and then he's got nine tied for 11, 19th. So he's just again. It, one of the great players to play the game, one of the great guys to uh, lace it up and come play for the Indians. It's interesting, the 23 season that um, gets those high, high watermarks was 150 games. He was 35 years of age. He did lead the league in RBIs with 130 and doubles at, with 59. He hit 380 but didn't lead the league in batting average. 469 on base, 610 slugging, 182 uh, OPS+. plus. That uh, his 1916 season was probably his strongest, um, at least when you do the eye test from my perspective. So it is interesting that that 23 season ends up sometimes getting a, a higher grade relative to yeah, because like in the so his offensive WAR in 1923 is a 901, eight uh, 8.6 in 1916. And you know, I'm gonna just kind of close it out here. Think about 1920. He hits 388. Uh, 43 on base, 562 slugging, leads the league in doubles, has over 100 RBIs. Indians win the World Series. He's already 32 years of age. He is also the manager on that team. He was a full-on player manager by that point. So uh, he ended up uh, with that particular squad, one of the two Indians World Series victories when they beat the Brooklyn Robins. Tris Speaker is one of your best hitters. He is one of your... Uh, best defenders and he is one of the and he is your team leaders manager other guys on that squad you know just to go back steve o'neill who made our all-time team ray chapman who we talked about charlie jameson who i talked about earlier on a few shows joe sewell who we've mentioned who was on the uh it was just a young kid smoky joe wood who if you kind of want to go he's a fascinating baseball player to go look at the career of and we haven't attacked pitchers yet, but, you know, Stan Kovaleski, Jim Bagby, uh, George Yule on that squad. Uh, so, yeah, go go check it all out. If you want to know the long and short of Smokin' Joe Wood, uh, go look at his numbers. Essentially, basically does not play again after the age of 25. Some really interesting numbers as a, as a pitcher. Um but that was essentially where it ended for him in terms of his pitching. He would work in Cleveland as an outfielder, completely changed what he was. Um, different circumstances, a Rick Ankiel guy, one of those kind of fascinating uh, stories in baseball history from a perspective of injuries and how one overcomes. So that's the podcast for today. Uh, we got our top two in, Tris Speaker, 
I, I think if you are making an Indian, Indian's Mount Rushmore, you, you got to add Tris, uh, Tris Speaker along with Lou Boudreaux we talked about before. Uh, those are two of the guys who have to be up there. Um, when we get to second baseman, we'll get the third. And then the fourth, we can debate till the cows come home. But Speaker stands out as you know a player, a manager, a championship manager for a team that has not had a ton of those. A rare case where the Indians bought a player from the Boston Red Sox because they were cheap and uh, didn't want to pay the player his rightful amount of money. And the Indians, when they had Tris Speaker, he was the highest paid player in baseball. So another oddity when you think about the game today and where we've ended up, that this was a time where the Indians, Boston was cheap, the Indians were throwing money around and were paying the highest paid guy in the game. Nice to think about, right? I want to thank you all for listening, rating, and reviewing. Tomorrow, barring any news, we will finish off the all-time Indian series, and we will talk about second base, uh, a position that is loaded with names, has a clear number one, and it's interesting for the sheer shortness of careers. A lot of guys had some big impacts for two, three, four years, and then they kind of got hurt or they were older. It's, It's interesting to look at. Again, thank you all for listening. This has been Jeff Ellis, and as always, go Tribe.